Welcome to chapter 46 of our podcast. We are very excited about a recent development here in France. The French baguette has received international honors. We'll have more on that. And the Feast of St. Nicholas will be observed on December 5th. We'll talk about Nick and some of the other Christmas traditions in France on Jeff and Julie Move to France During a Global Pandemic. You know what I just realized? I just realized that I forgot something uh, to do from last week. Two, I can't believe this, but two photos that I promised to put on the Facebook page at Jeff and Julie Moved to France, and I didn't get around to it. Well, it's not that I didn't get around to it, but I was trying to put up the picture of the white cars. Yeah. And for some reason, it was only on the cloud, or and it couldn't transfer into Windows, and I just... Are, are you sure you just weren't having a senior moment? Oh, I'm probably. Uh, probably. Because after that, I forgot to put the uh, picture of the, the girl, the... Oh, Marianne. The government girl, yeah. Marianne. Marianne, yeah. Okay. And and I've always preferred her to Ginger, so I <laughs> so I can't uh, believe I forgot that. Wow! I hope most people know what you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people who listen to us know <laughs> what I'm referring to. <laughs> That's good. So, so I'll try and uh, remember <laughs> to get to uh, just write it down. I well, I had I had it written down last time. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> Oh, I have some good news. Oh, okay. So we were talking about socks that go missing. And, oh, oh, yeah. And, and the article said, well, they don't get eaten up. Probably they're under the bed or in a drawer that you forgot or okay. someplace that you just don't remember. And sure enough, I opened a drawer that I haven't really opened in a long time. Mm. And a bunch of single socks are there. <laughs> and I made a conscious effort after taking that photograph. I said, no, I'm not throwing these socks out because maybe their mates will come back. Oh. And <laughs> was it was it a tearful reunion? It was it was a great reunion. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I was able to match up six pairs of socks. So it just goes to show you that it's not the machines that eat up the mm. socks. It's just the human who misplaces them. So uh, if I might just observe a senior moment, which sort of matches another senior moment that I just remembered when a piece of jewelry was missing at the house. Uh -huh. Jeff, we've been robbed. <laughs> Okay, calm down, calm down. We, maybe, maybe we haven't been robbed, and sure enough, you had put it somewhere safe and then forgotten. So safe. That you'd so safe that yeah. I didn't even know where it was. We've been robbed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's good. So Yeah, and they're in good shape, so I, I'm, I'm feeling really good. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, now, how many do you have? Does that leave seven uh, orphans still? There are a few orphans okay. still. Okay. Um, I'm but... so, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I know. Hey, uh, our, our dear friend Ted Bird posted something that was I found very interesting on Facebook the other day. It didn't get a lot of response uh, because it could have been um, perceived as a, as a sensitive topic. But he was it was just in front of the Croatia-Canada uh, World Cup game. Mm -hmm. And all he was saying, he said, I don't, I don't mean to you know open a can of worms here, but just wondering for all of our Croatian residents in Canada... Who are you cheering for in the game? And it was a really interesting question because I kind of put myself in the shoes of somebody who's no longer in their home country. And I think uh, in answer to the question, I think it really depends on how long you have been. 
either away from your original country or in the new country, I, I think. Well, I think it also is largely dependent on how invested you were with the original team. Or the original country. Or the original country. Right. So, but, but you know, you, you've got favorite uh, oh, yeah. teams that aren't even Canadian. You've always loved the Cardinals. Yeah, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I used to I used to cheer for them over the Expos, absolutely. And you still cheer for them. And I still cheer for the Cardinals. And in, in my case, and I think our case, I mean, we're 60 plus years in Canada. I'm not cheering for France unless Canada's out. I mean, I, that's just, there's the, the hard answer. I cheer for Canada on all levels. Yeah, when we were uh, watching the French Open, for example. Yes. You know, the Canadian players were yeah. our priority. Well, and Davis Cup. Mm-hmm. Davis That's true Cup. Too. They just won the Davis Cup, uh, I think, for the first time in over a century. I don't know, or, or ever. If ever. If I, ever. I, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, and it just happened to coincide with the kerfuffle over the World Cup and Canada being there. So I don't think they got the eyes that they normally would have. Mm. But who cares? They won the Davis Cup. And I mean, I'm cheering as a, as a very proud Canadian. I mean, just because we moved to France, that doesn't mean I, I switch allegiances. That said, though, once Canada's out in whatever sport it is, I'll be cheering for France. So your new country is the default. That's right. I get it. Well, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Makes they, sense. They finished second. Uh, but hey, we we let's get on to this because we have, as mentioned in the intro, we have huge news, Julie. This week, on November 30th, um, the humble baguette <laughs> <laughs> made it onto UNESCO's intangible world heritage list. Fantastic. That is really great news. It's Yeah. And I think Macron has been lobbying for a long time um, because it, it is a tradition. Now, you know, funnily enough, it's not the actual bread that's making the list, but it's the tradition and the craftsmanship that goes into making the bread oh, that's okay. making it onto the list. And, and do you know that uh, I was reading up on this as well, the committee for uh, bestowing honors on cultural heritage around the world meets annually to evaluate nominations uh, proposed by some of the people who are a part of this convention, which began in 2003, and then they decide whether or not to inscribe those cultural practices and expressions of intangible heritage on the convention's lists. And this year, boom. A baguette. The, the tr- tradition of making a baguette. And it's the traditional baguette. There are rules and guidelines and regulations that go into making this piece of bread. Like what? What would be some of the, uh, um, like some of the criteria? I guess you could say. For example, um, you need to have a specific ingredients. Mm. They can only be contain flour, water, yeast, and salt. That's it. That's it. Okay. That's it. Um, but you know. Before getting into like the specifics of what a baguette has to be, because there's an, a, a length that it has to be and a dimension that it has to be oh. in order to qualify as a traditional baguette, um, it, I thought it would be fun to kind of figure out when when the baguette started. Yeah. And there's not a real answer. There are three different suppositions. Oh, okay. That's on, cool. On how the baguette started. And the first one starts in the no- Napoleon era. Okay. Oh, he gets everything. He does. <laughs> he was an angry French man, but he got the ba- So a- apparently... Angry little French man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bread back in the day was round. Like it was the big loaves of bread. And he apparently came up with the concept of having them long and skinny so that the people that are fighting the war, the soldiers, could 
put them in their pockets. Oh, I see. So that's one possible theory. The other possible theory happened during the construction of the Paris Metro. So during that time, they brought people from all over France to help in the creation of the Metro, which is back in the late 1800s. Really? Yes. Holy. And um, apparently there were uh, workers that were fighting and they had knives and they um, would get into trouble and, and hurt one another. So they decided to create a, um, a bread that you didn't have to cut with a knife. Yeah. You could tear off with your hands. That's a little weak. So you, you think actually that these roughnecks are going to say, oh, I see, I don't need to cut the bread. I leave my knife at home. Well, do you know that you're not supposed to cut a baguette with a knife? Oh, really? Yeah, in terms of etiquette, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> you're supposed to tear it with your yeah, hands. Yeah, but they, they go to town at the restaurants. Like in the restaurants, when they're building their little bread baskets, you can hear them just slicing away like mad banshees back there. It's a bit different. I mean, they have to, you know, have yeah. certain sanitary yes. conditions. So using their own hands to, you know. Uh, rip apart the bread but, to serve to their customer, probably not a good idea. No, but to your point, when the bread comes to the table, nobody uses a knife with it. Everybody rips the bread. That's true. Everybody. So maybe, yeah, to, to serve it, it's fine to cut it. But when you're actually consuming it, everybody rips it and, and just leaves a, a piece on the table. Yeah. Because there are no bread plates. We've been through that. That's the way it goes. But the most plausible, in my opinion is um, due to um, a law that came into effect, a labor law that came into effect in the, in the 1920s that forbade bakers to work between 10 o'clock at night and 4 o'clock in the morning. So they had to figure out a way to get bread ready for, for their customers, for their clients, for breakfast. And you can't bake a big loaf of bread and have it ready for 7 o'clock. So they decided to make them thinner and longer so that they could bake faster mm. and satisfy their clientele. Isn't that interesting? That's yeah, I think I'd pick that one out of the three, although the Napoleon one rubs the right way. I mean, think about it. You can't take a big old loaf of bread out into the battlefield, but, you know, a couple of sticks of bread, yeah. you know. I, I, it, it could be, but no one really has the answer. There's no d definitive, you know, history to the baguette. All we know is it's delicious. And uh, like, is are there different ways to cook it, or is there that also part of the tradition? Well, I think back in the 1920s they had um, steam ovens, and so that's that's what they use current day to make these traditional baguettes. And the traditional baguette can only be between five and six centimeters in in diameter, and in length it ha it can only be between 55 and 65 centimeters. Yes. And the French take their baguettes really seriously. Do you know that there's a French dec decree? Like there, there are guidelines on what you can and can't do in order to be qualified as a traditional baguette. <laughs> First of all, you have to bake and sell your baguette on the same premises for it to be a traditional baguette. Oh. And you cannot freeze it. And... Um, the other thing is the ingredients that we were talking about. They're limited to those four. Okay. So so it's it's actually like guidelines in order to have the tr traditional baguette. And it's interesting because when I go to the bakery, that's how they, they call it, baguette traditionnelle. And how long has the word baguette been around? 
just since the 1920s. Ah. And baguette means, it, it means something in French. Yeah, it, it means it, jewelry. It means money. No, no, it doesn't mean diamond baguette. No, it means it's a, it, it's a stick. So like a conductor, you mm-hmm. know, the conductor, conductor uses baguettes. Oh, okay. Right? And and when we're eating um, Chinese, Chinese food? food, it's des baguettes, des, des baguettes uh, chinoises. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and since 1994, mm-hmm. Paris holds a competition. It's called the Grand Prix of baguettes. Oh. And over 200 uh, Paris bakers, boulangers, present their their baguette. Uh, 14 judges uh, will taste. Oh, <laughs> do I want that job? <laughs> Uh, and uh, and the winner gets uh, in the, the the amount of money changes from year to year, but the winner typically gets close to four thousand euros. Okay, and gets to be the br- official bread provider for the president. Oh, you're mm-hmm. kidding for me! For a year, yeah, until the until the next one is 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 chosen. That is a really cool idea. Right. And so in Paris, whoever gets that honor, well, all of a sudden the floodgates open. Everybody wants to have the winner of the competition sure. want, want, want to taste their, their baguette. And so. you, even after the year is up, you can always post that, hey, you were the winner of the greatest, 2018 winner of the greatest oh, baguette it's, of it's Paris. A, it's, a, it's an honor. Holy. Yeah. That's a cool idea. <laughs> Yeah, but it turns out that the French people are not consuming uh, as many baguettes as they used to. Back in the early 1900s, apparently, um, each individual would consume three baguettes a day. What? <laughs> yeah, apparently. And then, you know, as, as you know, the century moved on, um, like and, in the and, 1970s. And their waistline. Yeah. Well, well, you know, there wasn't the same variety of food, yeah. I don't think, no. back in, in that day. Um, it, it was narrowed down, 1970s, it was narrowed down to one baguette a day and then moved to today, and it's a half a baguette a day. That still sounds like a lot. And, uh, and we, we just love them. I mean, they're just, it's just, I've never, it's, it's like we've said before, if it's, it's my heroin. I can't, it's like potato chips, although, I mean, so much better, but it's just, I can't not eat it. If it's at the table, I'm well, eating it. A lot of people feel the way that you do because six billions with a B, baguettes are consumed each year in France. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And you know what the most popular sandwich is that's made out of the baguette? Is ham and cheese? Ham and butter. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. In Paris, like it's 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 all all the rage. And you know, two million jambon et beurre sandwiches are sold every day. That's crazy. So, so the French love their baguette. They love their bread. They love the tradition of it. I love the tradition of it. I I, I, I love the fact that we live in a very um, sparsely populated area. And, and walking have, distance, there are two bakeries. And, and two of the most amazing. And yes. all of our friends comment on them because we go get them for them. And it's just it's just two of the most amazing uh, baguette producers that we've had. Honestly. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. I'm hungry. I know, me too. (laughs) But this brings me to the French phrase of the day. Ah. So, as I did last time, I have three little short ones. Okay. Okay, all all bread related. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Bon comme du bon pain. Uh, Good, like good bread? That's right. 
and it means a good person, non-malicious. He is bon comme un bon pain. Hello? <laughs> you got it. I know I got so it, but you, I don't... You look, well, you look, you look I, confused. I, yeah, because I don't understand it. He, yes, I got good, it. He's good like good bread. So oh, I see. Oh, I see. Sheer, he's oh. good like good bread. Okay. Bon comme du bon pain. Oh, okay. Okay. One for one. Okay. Mieux vaut pain en poche que plume au chapeau. Uh, better something bread in your pocket mm -hmm. is like uh, a nice hat. Or... Mieux yeah, that's vaut better. pain bread in your pocket. Yeah. So better to have... Oh, Bread in your pocket. Oh, okay. I didn't get the que, uh, avoir. Yeah. Que plume au chapeau. Than uh, a, a, a feather in your feather cap. in your cap. Okay. Yes. Um, and last one. Yeah. This is big drum roll. I think you're going to get this one. Okay. Gagner son pain. Win their our bread. Win your. Yeah. No. So in in, in French we say gagner notre vie. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean you're winning your life, but you're earning. Gagné's earning. But on the on the lottery tickets in Canada, gagné, gagné. Yeah, it also means win. Yeah. But when you're using it in terms of gagné sa vie, it means you're you're earning your life. You're supporting oh. yourself. So gagné son pain. Oh, earn your bread. Yeah. Earn your keep. Yeah, exactly. Earn oh. your bread. Okay, like a breadwinner. There you go. There you go. Breadwinner. See, you just went full circle. I sure you, did. Yeah. I sure did. That's amazing. Well, that was very good, uh, again, group of uh, French phrases of the day. But I, we don't need to make this a regular thing where you're doing multiple. I just kind of like it. Okay. Um, oh, I have one more baguette fact that I think is really interesting. Okay. Up until 2015, mm -hmm. bakers could not take their holidays at the same time. Well, and even here, we notice that the, the one bakery is open on Tuesdays and closed Wednesdays or something like that. And the other one is the reverse. So yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Like they used to have mandated, okay, you guys can close in July and then you guys can close in August mm -hmm. to make sure that there, there was always a bakery that was open. Well, I think they've, they've kept that tradition here mm. in, in our local area. Well, could be. It's very cool. It's funny, you know, uh, talking about this uh, uh, this. UNESCO intangible cultural heritage thing or world heritage thing. Uh, I, I wanted to kind of find out, okay, so the baguette is one or the process of the baguette is one. What are some of the other ones? And it's it's funny. Um, there's I was looking for kind of French ones and there's there's one on there that was inscribed this, this year recently. <laughs> and it's from where we went earlier in the year, Andorra. Okay. And the uh, Andorra uh, folks have a bear festival and uh, it takes place every winter in five villages in the Pyrenees. <laughs> like the animal, the bear? The animal, the bear, yeah. Okay. And which is obviously located in Andorra and in France. During the event, young men dress up as bears, run through the streets and try and catch participants. What could go wrong? <laughs> it's like <gasps> stalking. That's uh, fun. But, but a lot of them are based on festivities. Uh, a lot of them are based on local dances. Mm -hmm. um, Artistry. There are a lot from Croatia. Huh. There are a lot from Croatia. And one of the ones that really struck a chord with me was from Cuba. Oh, boy. Do I want to be a part of this uh, intangible cultural heritage of humanity? Cuban light rum. 
So it's the tradition of it's, making the light it's, run? It's the process, yeah. It emerged in like 1862 in wow. uh, Santiago de Cuba. And there has been uninterrupted transmission of the Cuban light rum master's knowledge. Wow. Uh, which was put into practice years ago, aging uh, the product in cellars, the mixture, the laboratories, all the stuff. And the Cuban light rum master's knowledge is... Uh, a tradition of scientific and sensory knowledge. Anyway, so that's that's one of them. And then I started looking for Canadian ones, and it, it it appears that we're not a part of this. We don't want to play. Well, I don't think we've been uh, involved at all in their convention, which began in two thousand three. The only thing I could come up with, uh, which I don't know, I I found kind of sad, was uh, I mean, great for them. Okay. Uh, great for them, mm -hmm. but uh, not really what I would say uh, is a huge... Like, I was thinking something like along the maple syrup range, you know, something oh, yeah. like a sugar shack, you know, that kind of tradition I think would be a fantastic uh, representation of Canada. But no, this is the world... <laughs> this is the uh, World Accordion Crossroads is the only thing I could come up with on on uh, on the... Uh, the website for is it a, UNESCO. A, is it a festival type thing? It, it's an international event. They, they had theirs this year in uh, September. Um, uh, the Carrefour Mondial de l'Accordion is an annual festival that takes place in uh, Montmagny. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, for, in, in Quebec. In Quebec yeah. on, on Labor Day for 32 years. Wow. So people with their accordions from all over the world. All over the world. That's right. It's not just Quebec. Uh, a dozen or so other countries, and the, the musicians present the range of accordion sounds uh, on indoor and outdoor stages. Mm -hmm. And the organization <laughs> manages a music school there, mm -hmm. where young people and adults can take uh, uh, courses in, in very yeah, yeah, yeah uh, on 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 uh, on the accordion. And you know, it's funny. Sure. I I can't uh, I can't hear the word accordion. Uh, without thinking of uh, that that uh, tragic story of, of the accordion genius. You know, well, I think I've told oh, you this before. But I forget. Go ahead. Well, it was the sad, compelling story of... Uh, <laughs> sad. Uh, savant, Skippy McBride. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Skippy was an accordion player? Oh, he was more than an accordion player, Julie. He was a protege wow. of the great Ludwig von Spatzenleiden. Uh <laughs> Who was uh, cre 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 no? Uh, listen, he was credited with uh, the modernization of uh, the traditional polka. Mm -hmm. um, Skippy studied hard. Mm -hmm. uh, he practiced for hours every day. Got to the ten thousand hours club. You know they talk about that, and you need ten thousand hours to get master class at anything. Okay. Graduated with honors from Berkeley. Wow. And uh, and then PhD in music, specializing in the accordion from uh, Juilliard in New York, and he stayed in New York. And it's funny after a dozen or so years of honing his craft with with education and practice, he finally uh, wanted to go and and make some money and uh, signed on with uh, Ebony and Ivory Management. <laughs> <laughs> So York. that he could perform? Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And of course they specialized in representing keyboard players of all disciplines, not just the accordion. And Skippy took a personal uh, likeness to a fella named uh... <laughs> Who does Skippy like? Ronnie. Ronnie. Ronnie Cleghorn. <laughs> well, he'd been an agent with the firm for twenty seven years. Uh-huh. 
And Ronnie was intrigued by Skippy, saw things in Skippy that none of the other agents that Skippy interviewed saw or mentioned. Uh, it was kind of a match made in heaven, Ronnie and Skippy. Okay. Or was it? Well, I don't know. Days turned into weeks, turned into months, and Ronnie just couldn't find any gigs to book Skippy on. Come on. No one was looking for accordion No players. demand for accordion. No. Skippy fell into a deep, dark depression, mm-hmm. became very despondent, stopped practicing, stopped playing the accordion altogether. And then out of the blue, over a year after signing on with Ebony and Ivory Management, Skippy gets a call from Ronnie. An upstart band was recording their first album and needed Skippy's magic on the title track, The Black Forest and Me. Skippy was excited. The booking was for that Thursday at 10 a.m. Well, Wednesday night. Well, forget it. Skippy hardly slept at all in anticipation of his first paying gig. Following morning, he blew the dust off that prized accordion, autographed by Ludwig von Spratzenleiden. <laughs> set it in the back seat of his car and headed off to the address Ronnie had given him. Well, he had no idea where Hitman Studios on Droop Street was, but he'd mapped out the route the night before, so he was ready to go. After driving for about an hour, Skippy found himself in a sketchy, unfamiliar area of New York. But the good news was he located Droop Street. His first gig was seconds away. He could feel it. Finally, he spotted the address, but... Strangely, there was no sign for Hitman Studios. So thinking that he might be in the wrong place, he parked down the street and around the corner. He left the accordion in the car and went to check out the address. Skippy banged on the door, and after a few seconds, a guy answered the door. Before Skippy could say a word, the guy says, Are you the accordion player? While smiling from ear to ear, Skippy said, Yes, I am. And the guy said, Well, where's your accordion? Oh, Skippy said, I left it in the back seat of my car. You left it in the back seat of of your car in this neighborhood? Well, they both ran back to the car, only to discover their worst fears were realized. The back window was shattered, and sure enough, there were now two accordions in the back seat. Wow. Yeah. That was that I was know. a meandering story. No, 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 no. That was Lumby. Uh, that was the uh that the, was the, the Coles notes. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the Coles oh, notes. Oh well, story. Skippy. Well, oh well. That that uh so that sort of uh puts to bed the uh the whole heritage thing. But I will mention one last thing about UNESCO and the first time I heard about any of this UNESCO stuff was when we got uh, a note from Darren Platicus in July about the UNESCO geoparks throughout the world. And uh, he uh, sent us a note. He said, loving your exploits and living vicariously through you. If you're looking for an avenue to explore, might I suggest the UNESCO Global Geoparks? I'm the founder of one seeking designation for Niagara, but there are many in Europe. Uh, He went on to say that there are 177 UNESCO Global Geoparks in 46 countries. You'll never run out of destinations. I envy your access to all of the European ones. I'd gain about 100 pounds from the food alone. Ciao. And uh, I kind of looked up. I'm I'm not sure if this is the one that Darren is working on because there has been uh, a Niagara escarpment biosphere uh, associated to UNESCO since 1990. And it's the entire escarpment which is like 700 plus kilometers long in ontario wow 
Wow. So that's one of the UNESCO geoparks. I know that's different from the heritage sites. But, yeah, two, uh, di- two different lists, yeah. But, um, but yeah. Um, we got a comment from Dave Powery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he recommends Jeff and Julie move to France. Here's his comment. Well, I've just started listening to the podcast. It's very well done, and I'm enjoying it very much. I get the stress and strain of a move. We only move three hours away, not halfway around the world. I have a long way to go to get caught up, but I look forward to the adventure. Thank you. By the way, we drive through Rockwood all the time, heading to our tin palace. <laughs> it's trailer. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's what they call it. I didn't I think know. So. I didn't yeah. get it. <laughs> Uh, and another one from Edward Haverlet, and I, ho- I hope I'm pronouncing the name properly. Uh, here goes. It says, hi, Jeff and Julie. I'm Ed from Texas. My wife, Diana, and I purchased a home in Limoux, uh, to the south of you, almost exactly on the same timeline of your purchase. We still love France, despite suffering the COVID complications and a once-in-a-hundred-year flood that inundated our basement three months after we bought Oh, well, it's part of the fun listening to your podcast and laughing with you on some of your escapades and hurdles. I've listened to all 40-some podcasts and wait anxiously for Fridays to come when another one is on the shelf. We come from May to September and can't wait to arrive again for more magic. We love France and have loved meeting Canadians who are numerous in our lovely village. Oh, that's so cool. Well, yeah, cool. I, I got back to uh, Ed and uh, Dana and uh, I, I, I just sent them a note saying, Hey, listen, when you're here, let us know. We'll meet up and uh, we'd love to go down and how do you, is it Limoux? I think it's Limoux, but around here they pronounce the X's, so it might be Limoux. I'm not sure. Oh, that's right, because Maroux. Yeah, like I would say Maroux, like I would say Du and not Dux, but right. I I don't know. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. Well, thank you very much for taking the time and that's kind of cool. We'll. Uh, I'd, I'd like to find out some of their story. Maybe we'll get them in here and do an interview with them. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. All right, so we've got some Christmas stuff happening. Um, we still we still don't know about the markets, but it doesn't matter. They're they're going to be plentiful here between now and uh, Christmas. Um, coming up is a special date. Now this is more in northeastern France. I'm oh, not I sure see. that in southwest it has the same um, significance. I see. Um, but December fifth is the eve of Saint Nicholas Day. Oh, and Saint Nicholas was a saint. Um, there's a, a story that goes along with it. And I think that's why Santa Claus is often called St. Nick. And it's the Feast of St. Nicholas. Yes, yes. So lore has it that there was a nasty butcher who captured three kids. Oh, man, <laughs> wait a minute. What kind of Christmas? <laughs> and St. Nick was able to save them. Uh-huh. So that's why he became the patrons, patron oh. saint of children. Okay. So he, you know, uh, has has been very generous to children, and on the fifth, so the eve of okay. the day, um, children put their little shoes out oh. at the entrance of the house, <laughs> and hopefully um, they will get uh, some some presents or some sweets or something that they can appreciate. And they stick them in their shoes. Stick them in their shoes. Yeah. Okay. And they also leave out carrots and sugar for for Saint Nicholas's donkey. Oh. God, I was, I was thinking, well, that's a, that's a crappy trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently, he has a helper. Oh, he has a helper, you know. Yes. Okay. And he's called, and this is kind of scary, he's called Le Père Fouettard. What's Le Père Fouettard? So, fouetter uh-huh. is to whip. 
So okay. le fouet is a whip. So if you were to translate it into English, it would be father whipper. Oh, no. Yeah, and that's what happens to, to naughty children. I'm sorry. <laughs> what the hell? <gasps> Holy moly. Yeah. So, yeah. He so, carries around a whip. So the kids put their shoes out. Are they shaking when they're putting their shoes <laughs> I out? Like, I mean, I don't want to get whipped, but, and maybe some of the kids are going, you know what? I'm not even going to risk it. I'm just leaving the shoes inside. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, for a couple of candies or the whip, eh. Yeah, getting coal in your stockings now doesn't sound so bad. No, that sounds like, uh, you know, that's that's like a <laughs> gift in itself compared to the flogging. Yeah, exactly. So how does Nicholas get along with the, the whipping guy? Because Nicholas well, seems to be like such a nice guy. And then yeah. here's this Well, the evil whipping guy, I think, like, it, it incarnates or the, the butcher, the evil butcher. I, I, I can't really make sense of this story. There's a whole oh. song. There's a whole thing written about about this lore. Um, but you know, for for children that live in in that area, um, they start Christmas early. Wow, no kidding! So that's coming up uh, this week. That's right. Yeah, that is right. Okay. Um, you know, there are lots of other funny little things in in France. You know, for example, um, there I've been looking for holiday cards and notes, and I did last year as well, and I couldn't find any. It's because it's not a thing here. Mm. People don't necessarily do holiday greetings mm. and, and cards. They do wish each other Joyeux Noël and Bonne Année. Um, and, you know, that's that's the greetings, but they don't necessarily, you know, go through the the whole Christmas card oh, okay. ordeal. Um, another one that was really funny is um, <laughs> this is in Provence. So everything is really quite regional. It differs depending mm-hmm. on where where you are in France. But in Provence, apparently, after eating your meal, which sometimes takes up to six hours, oh, right? It's the big Christmas yeah. Christmas Eve dinner, which is much bigger than Christmas Day dinner. Yes. Um, it's called a réveillon, the Christmas Eve dinner. Do you know what réveillon means? Uh, not really. <laughs> réveillon comes from réveiller, which is to wake up. So uh, it's yeah. kind of like the awakening. Like Okay. Um, in Provence, after eating their huge meal, they will... They go skydiving? No. Okay. They eat 13 desserts. Oh, one for every apostle and one for Jesus. Oh, man. That's, yeah. Holy, that's just like that. And, and you're probably eating like just tortilla or whatever, like just potatoes and... And then 13 different cakes and st- Oh, come on. I don't know. Is that, do you think that diet is approved by the baby Jesus? Like, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a really good question. I, You know, again, I, I, I don't know what they do the rest of the year, but on that special day, that's Throw what up. they do. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> so, yeah. And, you know, as we get closer to the holidays, I'm sure we'll come up with, with uh, or we'll find out more you know, tr- well, traditions and lore and... I ain't eating 13 desserts, I can tell you that. No. I don't eat 13 desserts all year. N- no, it's rare that you eat desserts. I know. You eat baguettes, though. Yeah, I do like the baguettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, as we dig further into uh, the local Christmas markets, we're discovering uh, that most of them fall on the weekends. Uh, so we <laughs> take three. We'll, we'll try and take another run at one this weekend. Yes. 
Join us next week for chapter 47. 47? Yep, 47. <laughs> Julie and Jeff moved to France during the global pandemic. Jeff and Julie. Au revoir. Au revoir. Ha <laughs> ha